There's something I need to confess to you, and that is that I do not understand this parable. (laughs) The parable of the so-called dishonest manager is to me the most confounding parable that Jesus ever told. I read it, but I do not perceive. I hear, but I do not understand. Let's make sure we've got the facts straight. There's a rich man, and there is his manager, a steward. Got it. The steward is negligent, squanders his boss's property, and is about to get fired. Makes sense. But then the steward calls up the people in debt and offers them a huge discount so that maybe he might earn himself a few friends. And this is the part where Jesus starts to lose me. Because not only does the steward not get in trouble with his master, but just the opposite. The master commends him as if if to pat him on the back and say, well played, steward, well played. And then Jesus ends the parable with this devastatingly cryptic sentence. I tell you, make friends for yourselves by means of dishonest wealth, so that when it is gone, they may welcome you into the eternal homes. (laughs) Just when I thought I had my head wrapped around who Jesus is, what he taught, how he saw, the parable of the dishonored steward comes along and and rearranges all the theological furniture. What is going on here? Jesus appears to commend actions bearing a dangerous resemblance to fraud. The steward rigs a kind of crony bargaining scheme, stitching together a nice golden parachute uh, that he can use when the job goes south. Even though he doesn't directly benefit financially from his dishonesty, It won't be long before he makes a soft landing right into his friends' homes. We have to ask, is it really possible that Jesus is commending this to us as a way of life? I think it's safe to say that the answer is no. I still don't understand the parable, but if there is a key to it, I think it has to be found in the distinction Jesus makes between what he calls the children of this age and the children of the light. The children of this age, says Jesus, are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than are the children of light. So who are these children of light? I think it's the people that the church is called to be. It's what all of us here are called to be, a people who do not walk in darkness because we have seen a great light, in the words of Isaiah, the light of Christ. By contrast, the children of this age are those in the world who dwell in darkness because they seek ill-gotten gain, or those who, in the words of the prophet Amos that we heard just a moment ago, those who trample on the needy, and bring to ruin the poor of the land. Can this scripture possibly be more relevant to the world as we experience it? 
In this parable, Jesus is simply holding up to us a picture of the world as it is, the way that the world works, its standard operating procedure. This is the way that things are, the way that normal human beings are with one another. Right before Jesus tells this parable in the Gospel of Luke, he tells another parable that will probably be more familiar to us, the parable of the prodigal son. It, too, features a sinner, a son who takes his father's inheritance, travels far away, goes on a spending spree, squandering all his money on wild living. He is so different from the unjust steward who was skilled in the art of cutting his losses. The prodigal son, by contrast, did not have a clever plan. He was a man at the end of his rope with no one to turn to who could not cheat his way back into his father's home. So what does he do? He returns home and confesses. He asks for forgiveness. And what does his father do? His father runs to him, throws his arms around him, and kisses him. He doesn't even let his son finish his confession because all he wants to do is to throw his party for the one who was lost is now found. That's what life is like in the kingdom of God, the kingdom of light. So in a way, the parable of the unjust steward shows us a negative example of life in community. What started as something fairly small, a poorly managed business, eventually boils over into a far greater problem, a full-blown financial deception scheme. And so, as Jesus says, whoever is dishonest in very little will also be dishonest in much. The parable is jarring, maybe even offensive to our modern ears. Perhaps we're not accustomed to thinking about our life in such stark terms, that we're either children of the light or children of this age, uh, that there is either a way of life or a way of death, that we have either the choice to serve God or to serve wealth. Sometimes it seems like it would be easier to swallow an elephant than to live up to the standard to which Jesus calls us. But what we need to see is the message of grace that is buried within the parable of the unjust steward. And it comes in these words. Whoever is faithful in a very little is faithful also in much. When I hear that, I think that you don't have to be a spiritual superhero and give away all your possessions in order to be a good steward. Because what God is first asking each of us is, will you be faithful to me in a very little? Do you believe that all that is in heaven and earth is mine? And will you show me your belief by being faithful to me in very little? In my preaching, I rarely spend very much time on what's called practical application uh, or offering suggestions about 
what you, dear person in the pew, should do in response to the gospel that you've heard. Today, however, I'd like to be a little bit more specific about what our response could be if we're asking, how can I be faithful in very little? There is a really concrete answer, and that is you can tithe your income. Take a look at your finances and then designate a portion of your income, traditionally 10%, to be returned to God through your local church. Of course, it would be wonderful if your tithe happened to go to this church. But in truth, friends, in truth, this is not about fundraising for St. Paul's. This is, this is not a pitch. It's about giving as a spiritual practice, whether that's to St. Paul's church or some other church. It's about cultivating a way of life that serves God rather than our wealth. It's about seeing stewardship as a way of life and not simply yet another hit to the bank account. On the one hand, the tithe, 10%, it's only a very little. But on the other, as anyone who tithes will tell you, it really is a discipline. It's a sacrifice. It's a constant reminder to us that what we have is not our own, that all that we have comes from God because all our life is a gift. And tithing is a way that we say amen to that reality. Likewise, to say no to the tithe, in time, if we do this, we'll forget this reality that all that we have comes from God and our wealth and our possessions will become our master. And as we heard from Jesus' lips today, no one can serve two masters. In his second letter to the church in Corinth, St. Paul, our patron, wrote this, Each of you must give as you have made up your mind, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. It's true, the tithe may be a challenging spiritual practice, but it's never about compelling the reluctant. Stewardship can't be forced. In the end, it can only ever be about cheerful, joy-filled giving. It can only be about giving as a joyful response to the grace that has overwhelmingly been visited upon us. About giving not as unjust stewards, but as faithful ones. In the words of our prayer book, as faithful stewards of God's bounty. Because we are, all of us, stewards. The question is, what kind of steward will we be? And which master are we going to serve? May the love of God be so poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit that we never cease to give thanks for the joy that is in us. And may God grant us the grace to be faithful in little so that we may also be faithful in much. Amen.